to the Property Report podcast, produced by Property Report magazine, the leading magazine for luxury real estate. This is Becky Ellis, editor of Property Report magazine. Today we caught up with Sonu Dasani of Suniva Resorts and Residences. This question is, um, tell me about the Suniva, tell yeah. me about the Suniva Residences. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, the idea behind the, the private residences in Suniva is that um, we have a very high repeat level. So at Suneva Fushi in the Maldives, our return guest level is on average 50% during the year. In the high season, it's more. So, um, you know, because obviously in the low season, you, we tend to have honeymooners, uh, but it averages at about 50% per year. In the high season, like if you look at December last month, 76% of Suneva Fushi's revenues were from repeat guests. Um, at Suneva Kiri, it's already picking up. So even though we're in year three, uh, we're already at about 37% in December. Um, and because we create very unique, exceptional properties, uh, which you know guests can't find anywhere else. Um, and that's why for a long haul destination, um, where the, the average journey is, I mean, 80, 90% of our guests to Suneva Fushi are long haul travelers. So they're flying like 10, 11 hours to get to us. So they've got a whole chair, sorry, so they've got virtually the world at their doorstep. You know, well, at least 12 hours from their doorstep. And uh, they choose to come back at year in, year out. And that's because we create these unique experiences. So it was quite natural, it was a natural extension to then build residences, which they could buy to return to. And, what and then they, they pull them back, so we share the income stream. So it's a win-win from both sides. What's the current state of the residences? Are they already built? Or are they in progress? Uh, we've, we've sold uh, at Suneva Fushi about 10, and, uh, and we've built all of them at there. Um, at Suneva Kiri, we've sold 15, and we've built 14 so far. You mentioned before the hyper slow life. Can you tell me more about what that is and how that factors into your concept? S- slow life? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah slow, our core purpose is to create innovative and lightning slow life, standing for sustainable local organic, wellness, learning, inspiring, fun experiences. So that's really our core purpose. It's our DNA. It's what, um, uh, you know, if you ask a waiter or a gardener, you know, what's the neighbor about, they'll tell you slow life. But uh, it's something we drill in in quite a lot of detail. And what are some of the things that, uh, that have been born out of that philosophy? What are specific elements of the problem? Um, I think everything. I mean, at the end of the day, um, it, it sort of, um, it, it really drives our creativity, drives what we're about. So, um, you know, there are, there must be, you know, thousands of pounds on sustainability, local, organic. So whether it's, um, you know, producing locally. So for example, in Suneva Kiri, I think we're one of the few or perhaps the only resort in Thailand to produce its own cheese to produce our own cheeses um, actually on site at the property. Um, a, a typical Suneva um, element is um, is an organic garden. So a lot of our salads and our produce comes from the garden. In the Maldives at Suneva Fushi, uh, we're, we're, we're cultivating spores of mushrooms. So we don't buy the spores in. We, we cultivate the spores and we grow mushrooms. We have fr- five varieties and we're trying to extend that to 10. So we actually have a mushroom laboratory. So those examples of local, there's a strong engagement with the local community. So it's the name of Fushi, 70% of our employees come from the two islands uh, that are adjacent to it. And um, 
And it's, it's a ni- um, there's a nice story about um, how it all started because um, when we arrived in, um, in 90, we opened the resort in 95 and we sort of brought luxury tourism into the country. And this was in an atoll that's just a bit north of, Sine- of Mali, the capital. So you fly into Mali and then it's 60 miles north. And in those days we used to just take the boat. But there was a local helicopter operation. So um, as we were opening the resort, we were coming close to opening, um, we flew up there because my wife, Ava, she doesn't like going over water for long distances. So um, we took the helicopter uh, onto and landed on the, the neighboring island, um, uh, which is the sort of capital of the atoll. And they'd never seen a helicopter before in '93 uh, when we landed. So um, it was like ET had landed. You know, everyone, the sick, the, the lame, you know, the wounded, they all came just to see uh, what had happened. And um, that was in 93, 94, you know, when, and by 2000, you know, six years later, uh, a resort with employees from that island and the one on the other side, where 60 to 70% of our employees um, came from there, was voted by the readers of Condé Nast Traveller UK as the best in the world. So, so it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good example of how sometimes local can actually deliver better um, rather than bringing in, you know, foreigners. Um, um, because, you know, when, when guests are on holiday, time's not of the essence. What's more important is the experience. You know, if you're, if you go to the Maldives, you want to interact with Maldivian. If you go to Vietnam, you want to engage with Vietnamese and you want to feel um, part of it. And also, you know, we call our employees hosts um, to try and, try and create this sense of um, ownership. Um, uh, because, you know, we'd really like to have 350 owners rather than one owner. It's essential in the service industry to sort of create that sort of, um, how do you call it, the, um, uh, that um, sense of ownership um, amongst every single individual. And you can't really do that with a guest worker, um, you know, someone who's come from India or the Philippines or Bali. They don't quite have that pride and that warm welcome. So, um, so there's examples of sustainable and local and, you know, it sort of goes on, yeah. You're known, very well known for founding uh, the Six Senses brand. Right. How how is Sinevo similar, and in what ways is it different? Well, I mean, it's you know, it's all part of the same uh, origins, isn't it? It's all come from the same embryo in a way. Um, Sinevo was just our flagship, so it was just the brand which was a bit more consistent in delivering the. We have various key performance indicators to measure how we're performing. Um, on the virtual circle, and uh, you know what we found was the Suneva properties were just um, just scoring higher. So in terms of inspiring and motivating the hosts, our employees, we found we had much lower host turnover levels. You know, um, uh, you know people hosts were more satisfied. The, the host questionnaires, the host food scores, and then um, in terms of the guest experience, um, the guest comments, the trip advisor scores, etc. Um, and then resulting in, you know, um, better rev cars, occupancies, average rates, etc. So Sinevakiri last month, I think, um, had the highest rev car in Thailand and arguably the highest rate ever in the history of Thailand, you know, for a, a reasonable size resort. Um, and, and that's because we've created this very consistent experience. So, um, so we, we felt that um, the strategy behind selling success and focusing on Sineva was that we could focus on the one brand. There was a little bit of confusion between Everson, Six Sense, and Suneva, and also be an owner-operator rather than um, uh, an operator only 
or partly an owner. So um, the Six Senses model is to grow through managing other people's hotels, to manage other people's hotels and spas. And the Seneva model is um, is is the um, opposite. It's um, to own and operate our own properties. So within each each destination, how many residences are still available for purchase, or will become available for purchase? Um, are there still Seneva Kiri, yeah. Seneva Kiri, we've got about another twenty-ish. Seneva Fushi, about another ten plots. And then we run out of sites in Seneva Fushi. But we are going to start soon on the new Seneva Gili, which will be a water villa. Obviously, the political and economic climate right now in Thailand is less stable than perhaps yeah. at other times. But in terms of the sort of political situation in Thailand, you know, we've had these um, ups and downs since 2006, you know, since the first coup when Thaksin was um, ousted back in September 2006. So you've, you've had the cycles. And, and I think this is just a, you know, touch a bit of wood, another cycle, and, you know, with a bit of luck, um, it'll resolve itself in the next few months. Um, it hasn't been great for this high season, of course. Um, you know, the challenges have certainly discouraged people from coming here. Um, but it's just one of those things, and, um, you know, life will go on, and in a few more months, you know, we'll, we'll have stability, and um, things will be back to normal. And the fundamentals are still very strong. So, you know, if you look at the growth in tourist arrivals, Thousand six, um, tourist arrivals have du more than doubled. So Thailand's been going through um, arguably one of the more difficult sort of political periods in its sort of um, in its history. You know, if you look at the um, uh, hundred years of um, where, where um, you, you've had political parties and um, it's still a monarchy, but you know where you've had a, a democracy and political parties. If you look at the last sort of so on, wherever it is, a hundred years or so, you know, this is probably one of the trickiest periods in Thai history. But tourism rivals have more than doubled since 2006. So the fundamentals are there: um, good infrastructure, you know, good airports, um, good communications, you know, lots of flights and airlines flying into into the country. So I think you know the fundamentals are still quite strong. You know, good food, nice people, attractive locations, Kokut, uh, where we are. Uh, I think we'll go from strength to strength. It's it's one of the last frontiers of Thailand in terms of, you know, Samui. Phuket has five million visitors. Um, it's the fourth biggest island in Thailand after Koh Chang, Phuket, Koh Samui, and um, um, you know the the population is only two thousand. Half the tourists are our guests. So it's like Thailand was a hundred years ago. So it's a very unique environment. Uh, we have the access with our own plane service. Um, and that access will improve because we're looking at buying a second plane and having more frequency of flight. So um, it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's quite a unique location, and I think um, things will only get stronger for the destination. I know you mentioned another uh, location in the Maldives. Yeah. And are you have you thought about other countries, other islands, or do you have any? Are there any inklings of grander um, things long yeah. term? Yes, I mean medium term we're quite keen on Bali. Um, we have um, we're in discussions on a potential site in Ibiza. Um, we like London, Paris, New York, and there'll be some locations which will run out of space. So if you look at the Maldives, there are 1,300 islands, but about 300 or so are local islands. Another one, 200 are for agriculture and other things. There's another couple of hundred which are unfit for tourism development. So you've potentially got about four to 500 islands that are appropriate for tourism development. But um, once you develop five, 500 islands, you'll have five million visitors. 
um, and that's less than what you have um, going to get today. And in the Maldives, like 80% of the business, 80-90% of the business is um, long haul. With mature destinations, it's the inverse. You know, your majority, of, if you look at the south of France, the majority of the business is short haul. So, um, and uh, the Maldives has 1.6 billion people, you know, at its backyard, you know, between India, uh, Southeast Asia, bits of the Middle East that are, you know, within four hours flight. So it's inevitable that um, short haul travel become more important than long haul travel and that 90% uh, will become short haul. So the potential for the Maldives is a demand of within 10 years of about 20 million arrivals but they'll run out of islands by 5 million. So either prices will continue to go up or you'll have waiting lists. Um, the same could be said for London and Paris and New York. And if you think about those cities, their economies have just gone through the worst recession since World War II. And um, they, um, their hotels are doing incredibly well. I mean, London, the Bulgari opened, sold out, very high rates. Um, the same as case, the case for Paris hotels and you know, key New York hotels, you know, rates have gone up, even though their local economies have suffered. And that's because of the global tourists traveling. So, so we're, we're very keen on those type of locations, which will benefit from this tourism time bomb, um, where, where there'll be a limit to expansion of capacity. There are some destinations like the coast of Malaysia, India, where they'll just build more hotels as the demand grows. But uh, these are locations which will just have bottlenecks. So, so that's sort of, um, determining our site selection um, as well and, and then the other thing is that 30% of our guests account for sorry sorry um, sorry um, a, a hundred guests our top hundred guests account for 30% of our revenues um, when you think that we have about 12 1300 couples less than 10% of them account for 30% of our revenues they're spending between a hundred thousand um, up to a million dollars to stay with us um, so we want to find locations where they would go to. You know, they love the Maldives. You know, Bali's a location which the super rich travel to. Ibiza's another one, and then places like London, Paris, New York in the future. So, so those are some of the, you know that's some of the background to our site selection. And of course, you know, we we have these phrases we use these oxymorons like remote but accessible. So we like to find locations that are you know uh, off the beaten track but still quite accessible and quite institutional, especially for selling residences. Tell me how your concept would translate to a New York, to a London, to a Paris. Uh, how we could bring this, slow life, yeah. Right, in the middle of this hubbub. Um, I think we'd sort of introduce an urban oasis. Um, we, um, we're quite strong on our food and beverage um, when you think that our resort's in a very remote location. So unlike, say, corporate hotel companies, which are based uh, we, which have most of their portfolio in cities uh, and where guests can just walk out for dinner. So the quality of the food and beverage isn't that significant. It doesn't affect your business because there are always local options for our guests. In our resort, guests don't have any other options apart from what we serve them. So that's allowed us to develop very, very strong skills in creating unique sort of food and beverage concepts to keep guests entertained. So, so we use those skills in an urban environment, which would be very popular. And then also, you know, um, visiting practitioners and wellness practitioners and healers and um, use it as a, a location where healers living in the country can come and operate out of for a day or two. Um, you know, people like, you know, very, very strong acupuncturists or 
Chinese herbalists or nutritionists or energy experts, etc. Um, so there'd be that element. Um, and then there'd be an element of the residential, uh, the hospitality as well, the, I mean, the hotel part. And just combine together to create an urban oasis and then introduce elements of slow life. So perhaps have a big courtyard with you know, vegetables growing up on the side so you know you really have your fresh rocket salad um, fresh from the garden or whatever in an urban environment um, yeah I mean we've um, we've thought about it before we came up with you know hundreds of little touch points which uh, would represent slow life um, in an urban environment yeah. from a residential standpoint how, how much can the residents come to the to the property is there a set amount of time where they uh, it depends on the transaction. If they, um, on a few occasions, we've given a guaranteed yield, and in those occasions, we've insisted on, um, you know, uh, limited stays by by the owner. But if there's no guaranteed yield, then it's really up to them. So they come and go as they want, and then when they're not using it, uh, we go 50/50 on the revenues that we rented out. Yeah. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you want to tell me about about the properties about your plan? Philosophy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I think um, you know we're, 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 we we really launched residences in the Maldives. We're the only ones selling them at, at, at the present. Uh, well, actually selling them. I mean, some have launched projects, but haven't really sold much. Really selling mainly to our repeaters and our enthusiasts. And um, you know, the next project is the new Sinema Gili, uh, which will have quite a few residences, including a few water villa residences. Um, yeah, and Sunaver Curie sort of goes from strength to strength, and um, yeah, and with the second plane, I think there'll just be better access. Yeah. Uh, yeah Thank good. you so much for your time. It's a pleasure. Subscribe now to Property Report magazine and receive a free copy of Helm Lifestyle magazine, covering all aspects of luxury across the Asia Pacific, from super yachts to luxury cars and high-end fashion. You will also receive exclusive access to the Property Report iPad application and privileged online content. Simply visit property-report.com and click subscribe.